readers, listeners, welcome to the Fox page where we dive deep into the very best books. Today, I'm so excited. We are about to record uh, one of the most hotly anticipated episodes in the short history of the Fox page, which is our exploration of Arnold Lobel's Frog and Toad books. So these are books that are, uh, you know, have enchanted generations. Well, let's count them, two generations, two generations and counting. They were published in 1970, again, by Arnold Lobel. Arnold himself was born in 1933 in Schenectady, New York. He went to the Pratt Institute to become a children's book illustrator, and he also there met his wife. They had a couple of kids, and he went on to publish this incredible legacy. So the books came out in 1970. There are four of them. They were published between 1970 and 1979. I loved them as a kid. I was one when that first one came out. And um, I was so, so happy to revisit such beautiful and um, enchanting and heartwarming and uplifting territory when my kids were little. One thing I love about Frog and Toad is the fact that they are part of this I Can Read series. In fact, they're a real staple of this series. And uh, the prose is simple enough that it can really be what is sort of shepherding children into this magical world of reading. But it also is prose that is so incredibly profound and so incredibly well done that it's an absolute delight for adults uh, not only to be helping the children along in their reading, but also to just revel in the prose itself, not to mention the illustrations. So there's a very interesting article by Colin Stokes in The New Yorker that explores this idea, and he interviews, in fact, Adrian Lobel, that these books published in 1970 were sort of um, the beginning of a process of coming out to his family as gay. So uh, he did come out to them in 1973, and I did not know this until I was doing my literary sleuthing, but tragically, he was one of the very first uh, victims of the AIDS pandem epidemic, pandemic, I think both, um, in 1987. So sadly, there are many stories that he did not, in fact, get to tell, but what is incredible is we have this legacy. And interestingly to me, or, or I guess it's not interesting, it's just like important, these books really hold up. So I've read a couple, I've revisited a couple of these, uh, you know, I can read books. Uh, and I can tell you that there are some things in there that are just downright offensive these days. And Frog and Toad, I mean, I just cannot find anything other than pure delight in these pages. It was, um, they, they're so delightful, in fact, that Adrian Lobel adapted one for Broadway. And I don't actually know how that did, but I do remember hearing about it, which means it, it made it all the way to Broadway, which, I mean, wow, kudos, you know, to Adrian. It also recently has been made into an Apple TV Plus uh, series that is getting incredible uh, recommendations and incredible commendations. And one of my favorites, which is that it's really delightful for parents to watch. It's always such a, such a bonus when an animated series appeals to adults as well as children. I love to kind of dig into this idea of Lobel as both the writer and the illustrator. So these, the, the illustrations in these books are absolutely enchanting. If you're listening to this, I'm sure that there is a beloved place in your heart. But I wanted to just remind you of some of the things that I found most compelling about the drawings. So um, first of all, there's that kind of really beautiful muted palette. You've got a lot of like 
kind of avocado greens, you know, it was early 70s. You've got avocado, you've got kind of rust, you've got, um, you know, I'm not going to say goldenrod because there actually isn't any, but it's a very, very muted and, and actually like a, I mean, I'm not sure it's actually a small palette, but to my untrained eye, it doesn't look like tons and tons of different colors. It's just a lot of this really soothing and rich and kind of deep, um, you know, I want to say ochre which I'm not even really sure what that is, but I think it's kind of a reddish color. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the cover of Frog and Toad right here. I'll hold it up for you. So you just have this really delightful, rich uh, palette that he is working with that I found very soothing and also very sort of adult in some ways. And I think part of the appeal with Frog and Toad is that they are adult. I mean, adult, do we say that? They're like mature, a mature frog and a mature toad. They act like adults and they each live alone and they do very adult things. So there's this real beauty between sort of straddling the adult world and straddling the children's world. And meaning that, you know, everything they're doing is very accessible also to children. They're talking about having to do chores or talking about dreams or talking about the spring or talking about sledding you know, things that children certainly would be very interested in. And yet there is also a register on which they are, you know, participating in life as adults. So I think that part of the, the sort of staying power of these creatures and of these illustrations has to do with the kind of adult flavor of the, of the palette. Um, and also there's just something very timeless about the, the, you know, they're wearing sort of dapper little overcoats and it's just, it's a very appealing, not overcoats, like a little, you know, like little blazers. It looks a little bit like a Dickens kind of a moment actually with their little blazers here. Um, but, but you do have a sense of them as, as being these sort of timeless creatures. But then, and, and that li those line drawings are very sort of bold and chunky. Everything in the book is kind of chunky and solid and um, and, and it's not cute per se, but everything is very sort of, um, it feels kind of stable and dense and, and just sort of like, uh, you know, it's just very there. Frog and Toad are just so there. They're so kind of present for you. But behind them and around them and often framing the page, you know, you'll have these tufts of grass that will come up and over the frame, or you'll have a giant bird, you know, kind of menacing them from above, or you'll have you know, some, some uh, leaves of grass or some leaves of a plant that are growing up around them. And those images are often very detailed and very beautiful and sort of very finely illustrated in a way that I find endlessly um, appealing. You know, you want to like look in the, in, in the sort of in the weeds, you want to get into the weeds of the weeds here uh, and see, I mean, Arnold LaBelle seems like the type who would like hide a little like tiny cricket friend or an ant or something somewhere in there. I was always in a rush to get onto the next book, so I didn't look that closely. Um, but you know, even right here, there's a beautiful little thistle uh, detail. So you have these incredible, um, very solid, uh, sort of very present creatures together with this very beautiful sort of framing of more finely uh, drawn illustrations. Another aspect of Frog and Toad that I love so much is how complementary they are. So not only are they chunky and present and, and sort of there for you in many ways, but you've got Frog who's kind of tall and skinny and you've got Toad who's like, you know, smaller and more stout. And um, you have their colors are kind of like like complementary to each other. Again, I'm gonna hold this up if you're if you're out walking the dog or um, doing dishes or driving the car. I think you can imagine this. Frog is kind of a green tone, and his green tone is actually very close to the tone of Toad's jacket. And Toad is kind of this nice russet color. 
and that russet color of toad is very close actually to frog's jacket. So you have them, and there's this beautiful kind of symbiosis. There's this beautiful complementary thing that we've got between the two of them that's very deep. And frog and toad are also very complementary. We're going to get to this, but frog's always a little more upbeat and like, you know, toad, it's spring, you know, that kind of thing. And toad's always like, blah. So you have this like very kind of yin and yang thing happening here that is incredibly appealing. And I love the way that, that their personalities are echoed also in um, just really in their sartorial choices here. Their clothing is just, um, it's just a very nice reflection down to the pants. They don't have shoes. Uh, they also don't seem to go in for shirts. It's just like a jacket and a pant kind of outfit for both of them. Also complimentary. They're just, they're not afraid to just show a little, a little amphibian chest. Okay. So that is uh, what I have to say about the illustrations. And we are going to dive in now to the second point I want to talk about, which is the structure. So the structure of, of most stories are that you set up some sort of conflict, some sort of hurdle. You have the rising action. You have a climax, some sort of big, you know, to do. And then you have the falling action and the denouement, which is kind of like how things get sorted out. And Lobel does follow this in a way that is satisfying and, and very, um, it, it's not necessarily predictable, but it is highly satisfying. And in fact, oftentimes it is more satisfying because it's slightly unpredictable. So the pattern is, is much the same as any story. In the very beginning, there'll be some sort of obstacle or some sort of conflict, usually because Frog wants to go do something fun and Toad is like, I'm going to stay in bed, you know, that kind of thing. So you have this this sort of conflict and almost all of the conflicts are, are very minor um i mean they're also very large and they're you know they speak to sort of existential angst and they speak to the passage of time and they speak to you know the undying loyalty and compassion and and um you know intimacy between friends they're very large stakes things but they generally are like frog wants to go sledding toad wants to stay inside that's kind of that that generally is the level of the conflict so they, they kind of, you know, muddle their way through this conflict or this obstacle. And then they have some sort of grand adventure of some sort, usually. Sometimes they're raking each other's leaves or sometimes they're planting seeds and waiting or sometimes they're in a dream world, you know, racing through the forest. But they have some kind of grand adventure. And then there's a very satisfying sort of conclusion. There's always something that, that sort of... Uh, you know, we have some sort of resolution that in fact feels very satisfying. But the best thing that Lobel does, in my opinion, is, is there's this kind of, there's always at the end this kind of metaphysical sort of much larger and often very open-ended moment that we end on. I was about to say conclusion and I did not say conclusion because it doesn't feel like a conclusion. And we're gonna look at this. I mean, think if you're a little kid, it, it feels enough like a conclusion. And yet when you look at it a bit more closely, Lobel is really leaving a lot of room for a lot of uh, interpretation and a lot of question asking and a lot of, um, it, in some ways, these stories can be seen as like a jumping off point for a lot of thought about friendship or good deeds or generosity or patience. So it's beautiful because it's it doesn't feel moralistic, it doesn't feel didactic, it does not feel um, heavy-handed in any way. In fact, it feels very open in a way that's absolutely beautiful. Okay, so we are going to now dive into the prose. So we're going to look at this more carefully, of course, when we are looking at the two uh, stories themselves. 
But I want to um, just take a quick look at some of the reasons why the pros I find just so incredibly compelling. So the key to some of this is right in the title. So, uh, you know, for example, there's days with frog and toad. There's frog and toad all year. There's frog and toad are friends. But frog and toad are in all of the uh, titles. And what's beautiful about that is this, it sets up the expectation of these vowel sounds that are so um, sonorous and so resonant and so satisfying and comforting. So you have in frog, you have that low A sound. It's that ah, ah, you know, that kind of sound. I mean, it sounds like a little like ah, you know, both in like ah, but also like ah, like awestruck, you know, so you have frog. And it's kind of nice because frog, it has that soft R too with that, it's a, what is that? That's a labiodental fricative, the R sound, um, and the F sound too. Yeah, they're both labiodental fricatives, so I think. Oh my gosh, my, my graduate school professor, if you're listening to me right now, just oof, cut me some slack. It's been 30 years. No, it's been 25 years. I don't know how many years. Um, but you have these fricative sounds and then these low vowels and the G at the end is very soft. It's frog. It's not, it's not like a G. It's not like a hardcore thing. So you've got this beautiful frog and then it gets even more resonant and even more deep and even more sonorous with toad. So again, you have a very soft ending, um, but you have an even lower vowel. And I think it's no um, coincidence that we say frog and toad and we are invited to say frog and toad by Lobel because of how um, the, the vowels deepen. So you have frog, which is kind of that low A sound, and then you have the low O sound, frog and toad. It's just, a, it's, it's um, again, sonorous and beautiful, uh, and it really sets us up to hear those sounds. And sure enough, that repetition of those sounds is all throughout the text. It's throughout the text because there is a lot of repetition of like, said frog, said toad, said frog, said toad. He almost always uses the name, which importantly also they don't have a name. It's not like Stan and Laurel. Is that is that somebody? I feel like that's like, it's not the Hardy Boys. It's like Stan and Laurel Hardy. Um, I don't know who they are. I mean, they're, I know who, I can picture them, but I can't remember their like stage names. Um, it's like, uh, you know, Ernie and Bert. They don't have a name like Ernie and Bert or Felix and Oscar. They are in fact frog and toad, which are, are sort of more generic and, and, and more kind of universal because they are, of course, they're also amphibians. But, but there's something very sonorous about those names if you compare them, for example, with Oscar and Felix or even Ernie and Bert. There's something um, much more kind of soft and, and, and pliable and, and uh, you know, soothing in the names frog and toad. So again, he doesn't use those uh, proper nouns, frog and toad. He, I mean, he uses those almost all the time. And instead of like he said or said, you know, he said, that's the only way to say that. Um, so the repetition of those, you know, said frog, said toad is very powerful because we're hearing the sound of it over and over and over again. But it's also very important because a lot of the book is based on dialogue. I mean, a lot of what you have here is the two of them talking to each other and communicating. And they're communicating around, you know, these conflicts, which at the time maybe don't seem like a huge thing. It's whether or not you want to go sledding. But often our curmudgeonly little toad is just kind of depresso. The guy's not feeling great. And oftentimes it's the dialogue and it is, you know, frog most of the time talking him through it in ways 
that are very uplifting. So all of this kind of having the prose based in dialogue allows for the repetition of these vowel sounds that are so important. Um, we also, uh, when you have those vowel sounds, it's, it's really uh, important too because it slows the prose. Boy, I'm really, I'm following suit. I'm following um, Lobel's, look at his name, Arnold Lobel. I mean, he's got a lot of those vowels himself and it slows the prose. So when you have those long O sounds, those low vowels, it's not only, um, you know, sort of sonorous and, and pleasing and uh, comforting, but as opposed to something that's much more staccato, but it is also, um, it, it slows things. So it sort of forces you to, to take life a little slower, which is, of course, one of the important messages in Frog and Toad. Um, it also speaks to a real simplicity. Again, we're not talking about uh, you know, Felix and Oscar and Ernie and Bert and Laurel and ooh, I forget his name now. Um, but but you have this set, the simplicity of just frog and toad. They're each one syllable. They're each the name of the animal. It's very, there's a simplicity about it that, that actually belies enormous complexity and like this really big sort of metaphysical overlay in the whole thing. And yet that simplicity is key because the prose itself is very simple. The, the, the sort of storylines themselves are very simple. And yet what is sort of uh, couched inside of them is just incredibly satisfying and, and really in lots of ways very deep and, and uh, wise. I would also argue that you have this real liturgical feel. So there's something about the repetition and there's something about he said and frog said and toad said and frog said that, that to me feels very biblical. And again, I'm not a, uh, uh, you know, this has come up a couple of different times in different episodes. I am not someone who is very religious, but I love ceremony and I love rites and I love, um, you know, sort of pomp and circumstance. If you're a devout Catholic, I hate to be reducing your your religion to pomp and circumstance, but rites and community and um, you know all all of these sort of uh, uh, traditions, especially the verbal ones, are very appealing to me. And having spent some time in church, I, I would I, I for me this is very there is kind of a liturgical feel to it. There's almost like an incantation or or like a prayerful kind of um, feel to some of the prose, which I which I love. Okay. So we're going to dive in now to the first of the books, uh, for, well, the first of the stories. So the first one we're going to look at is in Days with Frog and Toad, and it is called Tomorrow. So the first thing that you will notice, if you are being a careful reader and you are looking at the title of this short story, this chapter, um, they're all short stories. They're actually not chapters. I mean, they all kind of, they're all the chapters of the lives of Frog and Toad, but they're, you know, they're standalone stories. So this is a short story with the title Tomorrow. And of course, you will clue in to the fact that we are having, a, again, a lot of those same sounds. We're having the same O sound. We're having the same uh sound, the tomorrow. We're having the R's. We're having the soft W's. So there, there's this real sense of, um, of these sounds repeating and again, this very sort of sonorous kind of mellow sound. Also the idea of tomorrow, it is the first word of the story. You always wanna look at the title of a poem or a short story as, as sort of the first line of that piece of work. And in this case it is, and then it is a refrain that we hear again and again and again throughout the story in such a beautiful way. Um, it's actually very Shakespearean in that kind of like very dark, like, um, you know, Macbeth, like tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. We'll shout out to Gabrielle Zevin here. But um, th there is something that, that is both very forward looking and very optimistic about it. 
And then there is also something um, that's kind of the opposite of that, that we can sort of never reach tomorrow. Okay, we're going to dive right in. I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm just going to just treat you to some of the lines and then uh, tell you why, in fact, I think that this is a literary masterpiece. Tomorrow. Toad woke up. Drat, he said. This house is a mess. I have so much work to do. Frog looked through the window. Toad, you are right, said Frog. It is a mess. Toad pulled the covers over his head. I mean, what is not to love about this? So first of all, Toad woke up. You know, this is like a, it's, I mean, I'm a big fan of Sam Harris. You know, this idea of waking up and this idea of being awake. I mean, this is, Toad is, is, is waking up to a lot of wisdom here. But there's also something, again, very simplistic here. And, and we have those beautiful, um, we have the O sound of woke, although we have that plosive at the end there. So we have something kind of, uh, you know, a harder sound. But you have Toad woke up. Um, so you have this, this sort of dynamic, literally three syllables in the first sentence, but it's genius. Drat, he said. So there are a lot of, when you go back and look through these, there are a lot of things that sound very colloquial. And it sounds, it sounds like a certain era, but not in a yucky dated way. Like drat definitely is not, you know, it's not really in the parlance right now. But there is a, a sense too of it being timeless and it's not annoying. It's not my favorite, you know expletive I guess we call it an expletive but but it's it's very charming and it also is very different that higher a sound and the t sound drat it's in it, it's very sort of forceful in its own way drat he said this house is a mess so again we have that house sound and also he's stating a problem that is so universal I mean those of you who have been paying attention in the seminars know that houses often should be looked at as literary symbols so when he's saying this house is a mess if you're a little kid, you know, you're like, oh, gosh, bummer. That means like cleanup time. If you're an adult, you're like, oh, no, like this house is a mess. Like it's 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 a it's a statement of frustration and and disorder and chaos. Um, and, and it's very it's both very small and very, very large. I have so much work to do. So again, we have so, and then we have work to, to do. So you have all of these kinds of those, again, those very sonorous sounds, all of those low O sounds that make the whole thing feel very kind of murmury and kind of quiet in a way that's so delightful. And then Frog looked through the window. So those of you who are watching on YouTube, you can see right here through the, um, you know, he's just like looking right through the window, which this is like good friends who come over and just like, immediately walk to my fridge or like a cabinet and start like getting out my cookies and stuff like there's something intimate about um leaning through a window and it's such a beautiful window with this little like harlequin glass kind of moment um and it's not creepy i mean this is not some like you know creeping whatever peeping tom this is just his very good friend and it allows their two heads to be right close to each other but there's an intimacy in leaning through the window first thing in the morning that is so delightful it's also unexpected um, and, and sort of whimsical in a way that is very, uh, it feels very Winnie the Pooh. It feels very, you know, House at Pooh Corner. Um, it, very charming. Toad, you are right, said Frog. It is a mess. Now, I love this. So one of the things that happens throughout this story is uh, Frog is not trying to solve any problems for Toad. So Frog is not saying, I know what you could do. Here's what you should do. You should do this. You should do that. There's very little of that. These stories are not prescriptive. They're very experiential. Frog is not trying to solve the problem. He's just really sinking in to this feeling of overwhelm with his good friend Toad. 
Toad pulled the covers over his head. I love that. So it's not like, you know, we're going to have some discussion about it. It's, it's like he's allowing a, a lot of life for Toad and a lot of what's happening in these stories for Toad is Toad just sort of sinking into whatever somewhat dark feeling he is having. And there's something delightful about that, of knowing that you have a friend who's going to stick around even when you're just sinking into your <laughs> into your despair about your room being a mess. Um, and then Toad goes on to say, I will do it tomorrow, said Toad. Today, I will take life easy. So I love this. Um, again, for those of you on YouTube, it's, it's right at the bottom of the page. So we have kind of this nice echo here of tomorrow and tomorrow. Um, but you also have kind of this nice conclusion here. And the idea of I will take life easy. There's something so delightful about that phrase, take it easy. Um, again, it feels 70s, but it also is so universal. And it's such a nice message. Like I just, I just take it easy. I mean, that sounds patronizing when I say it like that, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to take it easy. I'm just going to, I'm just going to relax. It's not like tomorrow I'm going to have a huge celebration. It's like tomorrow I'll just get to relax. There is a real premium throughout these books on relaxation and enjoying things like the sun and sitting on a rock and looking at water, um, planting seeds. You know, life is, is very simple and the simplicity is in fact very important. Okay, then we move on. Um, we're going to skip a couple of pages. Frog comes into the house then, and they are surveying the chaos together. There is dust on your chairs. Frog speaks first. There is dust on your chairs. Tomorrow, said Toad. Your windows need scrubbing, said Frog. Your plants need watering. Tomorrow, cried Toad. I will do it all tomorrow. So a couple of quick things here. Your windows need scrubbing. This kind of onomatopoeia that we have here, and the windows, again, we have that, that beautiful, um, th that low O sound, but it's juxtaposed with the scrubbing, which has that hard K sound, that scrubbing. And that scrubbing, that's kind of that, that, again, kind of an onomatopoeia. It sounds like what it is. And then your plants need watering. There's something about those higher vowels and also the word plants that's like almost kind of like a like a panicky kind of a thing. It's like a plaintive kind of tone. Your plants need watering. So like the the, the sort of um, the recognition of the chaos is kind of ratcheting up as Frog is like, wait, there you you really do have a major mess on your hands here. And of course, the more this is happening, the more Toad is like, tomorrow, tomorrow, I will do it all tomorrow. I mean, this is just a whole big primer on uh, procrastination. And then a couple of pages later, two pages later, up at the top of the page, blah, said Toad, I feel down in the dumps. And again, there's something that's so beautiful here. Blah, to me, sounds very much like drat. It's that same kind of register of those very kind of primal, young, universal sounds that are um, just very expressive in, in a way that's very, um, that's very compelling to me. And then, I feel down in the dumps. So again, you have those same vowels, you have those same low, uh, beautiful vowels, but also you have this naming of it. And it's it's a colloquial phrase, it's very it's sort of 70s in some ways, but there's something so perfect about it. I feel down in the dumps. It's just, it's. I mean, this guy, our, our friend Arnold, he really has an ear. I mean, this man has an ear. And then a little bit lower, I am thinking about all of the many things that I will have to do. Yes, said Frog, tomorrow will be a very hard day for you. 
So again, we have this gorgeous thing where a frog is just commiserating. Like how often is it that someone just commiserates? I mean, I think we're all getting better at it now because we know that trying to solve someone's problems is not always the best. Um, but, but frog is just really, he's just really in it with his friend. And then we uh, move on a few more pages. And then um, we have this kind of realization. So here we have the turn. Here we have when everything begins to shift. Um, so Toad himself now is arriving at the conclusion. Note the fact that Frog is not the one. He's, he's with his friend. He's sitting with his friend in the chaos and in the overwhelm. And yet it is Toad now who arrives at this conclusion. Frog, said Toad, if I dust my chairs and scrub my windows and water my plants right now, then I will not have to do it tomorrow, will I? No, said Frog, you will not have to do any of it. So it's so beautiful because, again, he's arriving at it. But you have also, this is the kind of incantatory effect, like this liturgical thing I was talking about earlier, because you have this repetition. If I dust my chairs and scrub my windows and water my plants. So all of the, the sort of introduction of those onerous things before now become a source of empowerment. He's going to do all of these things. He's going to check them off the list and he will be able, um, you know, to move on with his life. So then, of course, we have this beautiful series of illustrations and very short sentences where he does all of those things. And then we get to this next page. Now I feel better. I am not in the dumps anymore. And again, this is this beautiful weaving together. So we have tomorrow that keeps coming up and over and over. And then we have, you know, scrubbing the windows and dusting the chairs. Um, and then we have this down in the dumps thing that is being revisited. Again, it's like a song. I mean, it's just so compelling. And so then we get down to the very conclusion of the story. Now I can save tomorrow for something that I really want to do. What is that? Asked Frog. Tomorrow, said Toad, I can just take life easy. Toad went back to bed. He pulled the covers over his head and fell asleep. So I love this because he's he's gone back to this this prized thing, which is taking life easy. And then we even have him coming full circle and pulling the covers up over his head and falling asleep. So this is that kind of moment. It's not expected. You know, you, you would sort of expect him to like go out and do, you know, his thing with Frog or do whatever he's doing. And in this case, you know, he's tuckered out. He's been doing all of his chores and whatnot. And, and it, he's going to treat himself to, uh, you know, to this nap. They're also, um, you can see in the illustration that he has like a, a little satisfied smile on his face, which is probably important. Um, we also have frog with like his finger on his chin insofar as a frog has a chin, um, who's maybe kind of wondering a little bit. Maybe he's like, wait, I wonder if my, uh, I wonder if my buddy Toad's a little depressed because my buddy Toad is back in bed and he's pulling the covers over his head and falling asleep. But I, um, and, and you know, I think that's open to interpretation, like any master of literature. But I also will say that I think Arnold Lobel is, um, really prizes uh, rest, and he really prizes his bed, and these creatures' beds, and, and the idea of taking it easy, the idea of, of um, you know, just really being kind to yourself, and certainly the idea of treating yourself to whatever you want after you've done your chores. If that happens to be a nap, then great. Also. This is just occurring to me. Maybe he's really trying to elevate sleep and napping as like a reward for all of those parents out there who just are hoping to, to like, you know, hypnotize their children through frog and toad into thinking that a nap is a really great reward. 
Okay, now we're gonna move on from tomorrow to one of my favorite frog and toad uh, stories, which is called Down the Hill. This is in um, Frog and Toad all year. So here we are on this uh, first, very first story, Down the Hill. So this is, it's so funny, the expression, you know, it's only downhill from here, um, is always a little confusing to me. I mean, I get it, like, you know, if you're summiting a peak and then you're like, it's only downhill from there, that's good. But but you can also say it's, we're only, you know, we can only go downhill from here, meaning things can only get worse. So I think um, down the hill is a, a, a little bit of a clarification. Uh, Arnold Lobel is distancing himself a little bit from that kind of tricky idiomatic expression. Okay, so we're right at the beginning. We have this pattern um, where we're gonna have this little obstacle that these two are gonna have to overcome. Frog knocked at Toad's door. Toad, wake up, he cried. Come out and see how wonderful the winter is. I will not, said Toad. I am in my warm bed. I mean, I didn't quite realize that we were gonna have two stories where we have the two of them, just like, you know, it's the same start. But there, I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with a little repetition and a little realistic stuff. It sounds like Toad, somebody who needs a lot of sleep, spends a lot of time in his bed. So here's Frog, of course, and I love it. Um, it seems that Arnold Lobel either uses he said or, you know, said Toad or cried. There's a lot of, they, they're crying. They're either just saying things or they have to cry. I mean, not cry tears, but like cry it out. Um, and in this case, Frog is so delighted by um, how wonderful the winter is. And even then you have that W sound that's just so gorgeous. Um, it, it, it's such a um, how wonderful winter is. So you have, even with the how, you have this beautiful string of vowels, um, vowel sounds all the way through that are just beautiful. And then Toad comes back with, I will not. And it's so definitive. And there's like a little archaic thing there. It's not like, I don't feel like it's like, I will not. It's also emphatic and just like, no, I will not. Um, I am warm in my bed. Again, that W. So throughout this whole part here, after the knock at the door, we have this, and the wake, we have knock and wake at the beginning. And then we have this whole series of these beautiful W sounds that are very much kind of where Toad lives, you know? So then um, Frog says, winter is beautiful. Come out and have fun. Blah, said Toad. I do not have any winter clothes. So here's kind of the second of our obstacles. The first is that he doesn't want to go outside. The second is I don't have any winter clothes. So we um, move right along. Frog came into the house. I have brought you some things to wear, he said. Frog pushed a coat down over the top of Toad. Frog pulled snow pants up over the bottom of Toad. So we're getting um, a little hint here that we're heading into Arnold Lobel's very um, well-deserved and very well-trod territory, which is his humor. So, and, and again, it's all built through repetition here. And again, it feels to me sort of liturgical, sort of um, church-like. This is probably very blasphemous. But this idea of frog pushed a coat down over the top of, to of toad. So he's pushing down over the top. And then he pulled snow pants up over the bottom of toad. So you have the repetition of over the top of toad and over the bottom of toad. And then you have the contrast of push and pull that's so, um, it fits together just as well as the two of them do. So like the prose itself is kind of imitating the kind of complementary nature that the two of them have with each other. But it's also just delightful because it, it's a little unusual. This idea of um, push a coat down over the top of Toad is a little, it's like not a totally normal way to phrase that. And pulled snow pants up over the bottom of Toad these are, there's just something like a little bit specific and a little bit cartoonish and a little bit, um, 
a sort of like descriptive in a way that that's not the way that you would talk about just pulling on your pants. Um, the bottom of and the top of are not exactly how we would describe, you know, someone's legs and their head. Um, so then we move on. Frog put a hat and a scarf on Toad's head. Help, cried Toad. My best friend is trying to kill me. So this is that delightful, I mean, and that always got such a laugh from the kids. In fact, I have read this recently with a niece who got quite a chuckle out of this idea of help. My best friend is trying to kill me. There's something about the best friend there. And, and you know, he's being piled on with all these clothes and it's coming from this real place of love and joy and wanting to share how wonderful winter is. And yet, you know, there's this kind of like, oh my God, my best friend's trying to kill me. Um, there is a, like a, it, it's a combination of kind of these dire things. Um, like it's not a real risk, but it, but it's like, you know, he's trying to kill me is a real risk that is so, it's like this tender, sweet humor that is so incredibly appealing. Um, okay. Then we're moving on to the next page and this is Frog trying to, uh, you know, they're out there, there are no more excuses. Toad has all these clothes on um, and then they get out there into the snow. We will ride down this big hill on my sled, said Frog. Not me, said Toad. Do not be afraid, said Frog. I will be with you on the sled. It will be a fine, fast ride. Toad, you sit in front. I will sit right behind you. Oh my gosh, so cute. So here we have this idea of um, we will ride down this big hill. One quick thing is that um, Arnold Lobel almost never uses uh, con contractions. So it's not um, we'll ride down, which lots of children's books do use contractions. They're very common. And I think language can feel a tiny bit stilted and a little bit overly formal if you don't use con uh, contractions. But in this case, it's so beautiful because it gives a kind of Again, like this kind of liturgical, old-fashioned and very timeless feel. We will ride, said Frog, not me. Do not be afraid. That sounds very liturgical, like do not be afraid. You know, do I bring unto you the children of the Lord or whatever, you know. But like this, this do not, do not be afraid. It's very, um, there, there's something very biblical and very like commanding about having it not be in uh, contractions. And then when he says, I will be with you on the sled, it will be a fine, fast ride. So here you have high vowels, the, the I of um, fine and ride, and then the fast, that's also a high A sound. So those higher vowels are faster. And because you have the fine, fast ride, those quick little um, one syllable short vowel words, they're, they're really getting us that idea of this thing as being fast. You know, like it's gonna, it's gonna be a fast, exciting ride. So, and then um, the sled, of course, starts to go. We're on this next page here. There was a bump. Frog fell off the sled. Toad rushed past trees and rocks. Frog, I am glad that you are here, said Toad. And again, those of you who are um, on the YouTube channel, it's, it's really um, just incredible because the illustration, of course, is basically the same and it's Toad looking totally delightful. But right above it, it says, Frog, I am glad that you are here, said Toad. And then it's an illustration of Toad on the sled with no frog. And again, that is a real hit with the kids. I mean, again, the, you know, the, this seeing, see, visually seeing the illustration, but even if you don't have the illustration, you understand why that's funny. Uh, Toad leaped over a snowbank. I could not steer the sled without you, Frog. He said, you are right. Winter is fun. So, so far we have overcome two obstacles. Frog has gotten actually more. 
Frog has gotten Toad out of bed. Frog has gotten Toad dressed. Frog has convinced Toad that it's going to be a fun, fast ride, and a fine, fast ride. And the sled has begun. So we have, we've gotten over each of these obstacles. And then we're coming to the much bigger obstacle here, of course, which is that Frog is not on the sled. So then we're going to the next page. A crow flew nearby. Hello, crow, shouted Toad. Look at Frog and me. We can ride a sled better than anybody in the world. So again, world and winter and wonderful. It's, it's, it's such a beautiful way to end that. Better than anybody in the world. You can't read it without putting all that beautiful emphasis on world. Okay, but guess what? Again, those of you who can see the illustration, you got the crow, you got toad, you got the sled, no frog. Although toad has just said, look at me and frog. But toad, said the crow, you are alone on the sled. Toad looked around. He saw that Frog was not there. I am all alone, screamed Toad. All caps, plus an exclamation mark. I mean, Toad is in full panic here. So then, of course, he runs into a tree, and he hits a rock, and the sled dives into the snow. So it's it's just a total disaster. So Frog comes down, um, and he says, I saw everything, said Frog. You did very well by yourself. I did not, said Toad, but there is one thing that I can do all by myself. What is that? asked Frog. I can go home, said Toad. Winter may be beautiful, but bed is much better. So, oh my gosh, you guys. I mean, I hope you are as delighted as I am. So there is so much happening here because they've overcome all of their obstacles and you expect this to be this big thing where, you know, Toad realizes that he could do it all by himself. I mean, that is really what the setup is, is that Frog's going to fall off the back. Toad's going to have this incredible, fine, fast ride. And, you know, he's going to build his self-confidence and be so happy that he can ride the sled by himself. And that is absolutely not what happens. In fact, he has a disaster. And Frog comes down and says, you know, you did well by yourself, which is true in some regard. I mean, he survived the whole thing. And sledding is all about, you know, crashing, maybe not into trees and rocks and whatnot. But, you know, it's all part of the fun. But what you have then is Toad saying, actually, I did not. And sure, this is wonderful. But what's even more wonderful is the thing that I already know I love, which is bed. So you have this beautiful kind of turning this whole, um, you know, sort of supposed lesson, which is like, oh, you can build your confidence by doing something alone. And, and in fact, turning it on its head and saying, you know, it's fine, he can survive these kinds of things. But in fact, there are real creature comforts like bed and napping and warmth and the insides of houses that, that are really comforting and that are, are, you know, consistent and that are there for us. And we can have big adventures uh, and we will still be very good friends. No one's angry at anyone. They're just delighted. Um, well, I mean, throughout the stories, they're delighted. I am not sure that Toad, I'm looking at the picture right here. Those of you on YouTube can see uh, neither Frog nor Toad looks totally delighted at the very end of this. So speaking of being delighted at the end of this, I hope that you enjoyed this little exploration of Arnold Lobel's amazing frog and toad books. I, again, the structure, the prose, the illustrations, I mean, there is just nothing but delight to be found in these books. And I hope that this little trip down memory lane, maybe when you read these to your kids or maybe when you read them when you were a, chi a tiny child yourself, um, I hope that now you understand even better why you love them so much and why, in fact, Frog and Toad is a literary masterpiece. 
Thank you so much for joining me and head straight back to the Fox page and find something else to, uh, to listen to. Okay, readers, happy reading, happy listening.